Hey, I know it's Mother's Day, but is it okay if I start off with a story about my dad instead? Is that okay? I'm going to do it anyway. But <clears throat> so I grew up, uh, when I first started preaching just in college, uh, every time I'd go preach somewhere, everybody said, you've got to be a preacher's kid, right? And I have no idea what that meant. I was always kind of like, what? I don't, what? no, I'm not a preacher's kid. And I didn't know what to say to it. So finally, after about the 10th time, I just started saying, no, actually, I'm Jesus' kid. Um, and I did that because just because after my parents came to know the Lord, my dad was asked if he could be the backup Jesus uh, for the passion play and musical at our church. Apparently, this is like being Jesus' stunt double or something. We just need you for six hours on Friday, and then you're done, you're fine. Uh, but um, uh, so the other guy who played Jesus got picked up by the cops. Literally, he was recruited by the state police to be a trooper. Uh, and so my dad stepped up uh, in to be Jesus, and that's how I became Jesus' kid. Uh, but during the Passion Plays, they always had one of the most favorite parts is always the triumphal entry. And so my dad would come down from the center aisle, and the disciples would be around him, but there'd also be a bunch of little kids around him, and the choir would be singing. And, and every time he'd get about halfway down the aisle, and he would just scoop down and reach down and grab one of those kids and pick them up and carry that kid's eyes like this big around. Jesus is carrying me, you know. And uh, it, it was such a touching moment. The whole crowd would go, oh, you know, and everything else. Well, we did like six each weekend. And so, like, you know, after the first show, all the kids, they, they wanted to be picked up by Jesus, too. And so like it looked like like roller derby jockeying for position and fighting in there and everything then my dad had reached down and like grabbed the kid in the back just kind of lagging behind because kind of seems like that's something jesus would do it grabbed that kid and, you know lift him up and and then they'd sit down and tell a story up on the stage and like um you know like it, when the, the whole time dad's telling this story as jesus like there's like kids crawling on his back and like kids trying to crawl up in his lap and i mean it was just just this beautiful picture uh, in, in the midst of all the chaos and everything um, there's something about Jesus that makes kids want to be near him. Uh, they're naturally drawn to him, to his love, to his power, to his hope. It seemingly has always been that way. And that was so, it's such a beautiful thing about how my dad portrayed that was that the kids, yeah, of course they're going to be climbing all over Jesus. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't I? And so as we wrap up our all-in all family story this weekend, I want to turn our attention to the response of the children to Jesus and Jesus' response to the children as well. Because I'm convinced that kids today still want to come to Jesus. But often our response makes us a lot more like the disciples. And so here's our text today from Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. This is immediately following the marriage and divorce passage that we looked at last week, and that's going to come into play later on. Important for us to remember the con context. People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that He might touch them or, or bless them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, He was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to Me, and don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And after taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on the children and blessed them. 
It's interesting, isn't it, here, that the command of Jesus is actually a passive commandment. Let them come to me. They're coming to me. They're always going to come to me. Let them and do not hinder them. Do not stop them. It really should be that simple, right? The whole premise of the message today is this. Children want to come to Jesus. Let them. Let them. Do not hinder them. Do not step in their way. But while we find that the command of Jesus is a passive one, I found that it's what we actively do that lets them come to Jesus. The actions that we take towards children matter whether or not they will come to Jesus, whether they will continue to walk with Jesus, whether they will have a favorable impression of Jesus in their mind. And so I want to talk about the actions that we see in the text today that keep us from being in the way of children and youth and young adults and doing what they naturally want to do, which is to come to Jesus. So how do we let little children come to Jesus? First, we see that Jesus saw them. Jesus saw that they were being pushed away from Him. Jesus saw that the disciples were acting in a way that was negative towards the children. And oftentimes, this is what can happen in churches and in our families. It's all about priorities. We must be a church that cares more about the next generation than about our own tastes and preferences. We must be a church that cares so much for the next generation that we're willing to give up anything we can in order to help them know Jesus. And in our families, we must do the same and in our neighborhoods to make sure that we are being great examples by seeing kids, recognizing that they matter, recognizing that they need to be seen and loved and valued. I know it's Mother's Day, but can I tell a story about another father and son? Is that okay? I'm going to do it anyway. So there's this Columbus native, I'm not sure if you've heard of him or not, named Jack Nicholas. Um, and the, the only thing I know about the guy is he wears a lot of green sport coats. I don't know why it's always green, but uh, those green jackets are, seem to be important to him. So back in 2015, he was uh, awarded the Congressional Gold Medal. And traditionally, the recipient chooses someone to introduce them before the president and everyone else who was there. And so like in 2011, uh, Arnold Palmer, uh, he chose Jack Nicholas to introduce him. So everybody's wondering who was going to introduce Jack Nicholas. Well, Jack Nicholas actually asked his son, Jack Jr., to introduce him. And as he introduced his dad, he asked the question, what is it like to be Jack Nicholas's son? And to do so, Jack Jr. took the audience back to the 1986 Masters, where his dad at age 46 was a heavy underdog, but went on to shoot a final round of 65 to win, on, win his sixth Masters. The only, to, only this time, Jack Jr. was his dad's caddy. Here's how he told the story. Dad was now on the 18th green. I stood motionless, holding the flag as Dad putted out for a final round 65 to complete his unlikely come-from-behind victory at the age of 46. As his final putt dropped, the crowd erupted. Dad quickly picked the ball up from the cup and faced the crowd to greet their cheers. 
And there I was, completing the mundane task of putting the flagstick back in the cup. For me, time was standing still as the cheers continued. I was thinking, wow, Dad really played well today. Yet it was more, so much more. This man, this wonderful man, had accomplished so much. He is Jack Nicklaus. He is arguably the greatest golfer in the history of golf. The Golden Bear had just won his sixth green jacket in incredible fashion. His fans adored him. It was his moment in time. A moment so earned and a moment so deserved. Now let's go back to the question I am so often asked. What is it like to be Jack Nicklaus' son? So there I was, turning from the flag, and all I saw was my dad. In the midst of this moment that was all about Jack Nicklaus, there dad stood, waiting for me with the most wonderful smile. His arms were outstretched to embrace me. Dad had made me a part of it. I knew I had Dad's full focus. I felt like I mattered. I felt loved. That's what it's like to be his son. Now, parents, I don't think any of you are going to be going out and winning any professional golf tournaments anytime soon, especially not today in this torrential downfall. But how can your children... How can you see your children in the midst of your successes and in the midst of your failures? How is it when you come home from work each day? How is it that when you're working from home each day, (laughs) and the difficulty that brings in parenting, how can you see your children in the midst of it? How can you see your children even when they're getting on your nerves? How can you see your children even when you feel like you just need a break. Because how you see your children in those moments will have a big part of determining how we can help them come to Jesus. How do we let children come to Jesus? First, by seeing them, but secondly, by building healthy relationships with one another. As I mentioned before, this passage does piggyback on the divorce passage, and we would be wise to recognize that the two are connected. The value that we place on our own marriage and our own relationships is vitally important for the health of our kids, no question about it. But at the same time, we also have to recognize that if if we do end up going through the pain of divorce, that the work that we do intensifies with our kids. We have to help our kids work through the pain of that as well. And that is tough when you're suffering and when you're going through so much pain yourself, but it is so important. Now, I know it's Mother's Day, but is it okay if I tell the story about a daughter? I'm going to tell it anyway. And still a daughter, a book, Sarah Shepherd writes, I spent last week at a beach in Florida relaxing with my family. The week was for eating fresh seafood, sitting by the beach, throwing the frisbee, and catching up with my dad and his new wife. My parents are divorced, and that process took about nine years. I had erratic and intensively negative feelings for and about my dad throughout my high school and college years. While those feelings have mellowed out, and as adults, we get along okay now. We live 1,200 miles apart and don't see each other often, but I'm always glad to visit whenever I can. The beach trip and his wife, uh, and his wife's, it was his and his wife's initiative, and they provided a big place for us all to meet up and spend some time together. 
But at the week's end, my dad said something to me that left my mind quiet and full of one thought. At the end of a perfect day of hunting for shells with the little girls, we had to pack up the car and pass around goodbye hugs. My dad hugged and kissed me. His arms are still so strong and tight. No one's hugs feel like dad's. He told me again how thankful he was that he could be there, and he told me he was so proud of me. I have to admit, after hearing those words from my dad, my 29-year-old self was filled. I I can guess my dad's been proud of me. I'm at least sure he's not disappointed in who I am or what I've done in my life. But hearing him say it to me, despite all our past and its residue, despite my independence from him, despite the deeply affirming relationship I have with my husband, it was like I've never needed anything else. Man, I think about that. The reality is is that some of us probably have some scars in our relationships with our moms and dads, with our sons and daughters. How important it is, especially as the parent, that we take initiative to offer healing, to offer words of affirmation. There are some things that cannot be undone, but there is a love that can be stated. We never grow too big to hear our mom and dad's affirmation, do we? So we let little children come to Jesus by building healthy relationships with one another. But third in this passage, we also see by we uh, let little children come to Jesus by allowing Jesus to set the agenda for our families, not us. The reality is, is that we all have dreams and plans for our family and how it's all going to work out, and they never work out that way, do they? Things always happen differently than our plan, and that's okay. But in the midst of it all, if we can find God's plan and find God's agenda, we would be wise to do so. The disciples clearly had their own agenda here, didn't they? They wanted to get Jesus to Jerusalem. They wanted to see him get in power. And there was no room for these little kids running around. And yet Jesus rebuked them. Jesus got angry with them because they were overlooking these little children. And so in the same way, we would be wise to focus in on God's agenda. Sometimes our agenda does focus on our children, but it involves so many activities and so, many, so much busyness that we end up cutting out the most important part, which is Jesus. And so we should refocus and let Jesus set the agenda, not us. I know it's Mother's Day, but is it okay if I tell you a story about a married couple? I'm going to do it anyway. At the age of 79 and 78 years old, Cincinnati residents Al and Ann Hill are finally empty nesters. It wasn't because their biological kids were living in the basement this whole time. They've been gone for decades. Rather, shortly after their daughters had gone to college, their home felt empty. So they decided to fill it by opening their home to foster children, which they did for about three decades. While no one knows the actual number, it appears that the number is well over 100. And not just 100 foster children, 100 girls. This may seem like a lot to us, but when it is one or two foster kids living with you at a time, 
it's not too difficult to imagine. Maybe part of their commitment is their own story. Al had 16 biological sisters, but didn't grow up in the same home with them. Anne was raised by her aunt. As a foster parent, Anne was strict. Her home had rules. Al remembers her making them brush, the girls brush their teeth again if they didn't do it correctly the first time. Yes, she was stern, but the girls found she was someone they could always call and someone that was all that they needed. We are a team, Anne says. That's how we did it. To Al, a bus driver and a manager for 37 years, fostering was often very simple. He and his wife could provide a bed and home-cooked meals for young girls who needed them. You know what you learn, Al says? There are so many people with nowhere to go. There's a sign above their front door that says what they have done so faithfully for so long. It's a quote from Hebrews 13. And in the King James language, it says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. But I suspect be not forgetful to entertain strangers is just another way of saying, let the little children come to me. There's a fourth way that we see in this text that we let the little children come to Jesus, and that is by loving the vulnerable. We see in the text that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God belongs to such as these little children. Now, oftentimes when we read that text, we think that Jesus is speaking of children and their innocence. That's actually not true, because we all know that children aren't innocent, right? (laughs) It's actually speaking of their vulnerability. It's speaking of how vulnerable children were in that culture and are in every culture, and how we would be wise to love and to protect those who are vulnerable. And by doing so, we help the little children come to Jesus unhindered. There's a lot of ways I could suggest it to do that, but I should probably just tell a story. I know it's Mother's Day, but is it okay if I tell a story about a politician? Is that pushing it a little bit? Hang with me. You might have seen the movie The Blind Side. Well, the couple that was featured in it, Sean and Leanne Tui, they wrote a book called In a Heartbeat about their story. And in the middle of sharing their story, they share several other stories. One of them is about a congressional program that awards internships to young people who have aged out of the foster care system. These are kids who had never been adopted and are no longer eligible for state support. A senator employed one such man as an intern. One morning, the senator breezed in for a meeting and saw his intern already in the office reorganizing the mailroom. The senator said to the intern, This is amazing. The mailroom has never looked so clean. You did a great job. A few minutes later, the senator walked by and saw that the intern had tears streaming down his face. He said, son, are you okay? Yes, the intern replied quietly. I'm sorry, did I say something that that offended you? No, sir. Well, well, what's wrong? And the young man looked at the senator and said, that's the first time in my life anyone's told me that I did something good. Man, I I think about that. I think about how oftentimes we can be hard on our kids, how oftentimes we can be tough on our kids, 
and, and forget to come around and affirm them. But I also, I also look at how many kids out there in the world have never heard that from anybody. How many kids have never been told that they're loved? How many kids have never been told that they're doing something well? That they have a gift? That their life is worth living? Church, all kids are vulnerable. We need to be careful and be wise to make sure we are affirming those in our own households, in our own families, in our own neighborhoods, and in our own communities. And by stepping to places where they aren't being blessed, and to seeing how we can best bless them and help them come to Jesus. I know one of the ways that we've been very blessed by this um, is by Christy Brown. You've heard Christy share communion meditations before up here. Um, Christy Brown reached out to the pastors on staff and said, hey, I know that you guys all have girls. Would it be okay, since they are already in church at like 845, if I just met with them and discipled them at 845 until church started, the first service? Yeah. Man, it's been so great to see. And I mean, she's going through a book with them. And she's just sharing with them. And, and she's sending them messages on their devices and things like that, um, that that are just encouraging. They're hearing the same things from Christy that they're hearing from us. And that's so important to hear that same message from multiple people. And already we've seen three of those girls have shared their only God can story. One was baptized. Grace was baptized this morning. And we see how, how God's at work in that because Christy has simply chosen to invest in them. It's not rocket science. It's just loving them and affirming them and coming alongside of other parents. And that we have a huge need in our children's ministry as well. We have a huge need as Melanie gets started here, as Melanie, our new children's minister, starts in the middle of June. Our children's ministry numbers are continually picking back up but our volunteers are staying way behind. And, and it's time. It's time to step back up and to step in and to recognize this isn't just a commitment of my time. This is an investment in seeing the next generation and helping them come to Jesus too. Moms, I want to speak to you especially today. Since it's Mother's Day, I know that sometimes moms tend to have huge passions for helping people, Right? Sometimes moms see kids in need and want to do more than what the rest of the family sees or is often willing to do. Sometimes that involves big things, um, seemingly big things like adopting or fostering. Other times that means simply helping out a kid in need who's in need of a new pair of shoes or just in need of having a kid in the neighborhood come over and play so that they can have, have the experience of seeing what a Christian home's all about. So moms, I just want to give you the permission today if you feel like something's been laid on your heart, how you want to help someone and need a child, I want to give you permission. And you can even blame me. You can tell your husband, the preacher said, I have to bring this up. I just want to give you permission to bring that up and say, you know, this has been on my heart. And you don't have to do it today. You've got the next week, okay? But if there's been something that's been on your heart that you need to tell your husband or your kids and say, we need to be more involved in this. This has been on my heart. You have my permission. In fact, I'm commanding you to do that, okay? I'm telling you, you can bring it up and blame it solely on me. All right? Deal? All right. Finally, 
How can we let little children come to Jesus? Finally, we see in the text that Jesus, he took them in his arms and he blessed them. He blessed them. What's it mean to bless them? I think blessing them is simply affirming who they are as God's children. Sometimes that happens in prayer. Sometimes when you're praying with your kids before bed, God, I thank you that you gave me Tyler and Nora. I thank you for their beautiful gifts. I thank you for their beautiful hearts. I thank you that they are your children, that you love them, that you died for them on the cross. Sometimes it's just in the middle of conversation, just saying, or just at random times, saying, hey, do you know how much I love you? Sometimes it's just saying, man, you've got a real heart for this. You've got a real gift in this area. We let little children come to Jesus by blessing them. Now, I know it's Mother's Day, so I should probably conclude the sermon with a Mother's Day story, right? Is that okay? Yeah, 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 okay. So a few years ago, a mom of three boys named Suzanne heard about the research, we've talked about it here, called Sticky Faith. It basically talks about that faith sticks best with your kids through their college and young adult years when they have at least five adults besides their parents pouring into their faith. And so over the next few months, Suzanne and her husband asked her three sons which adults they'd like to get to know better. So next, Suzanne and her husband invited those adults to walk alongside them in care of her children. And across the board, those adults felt honored by the invitation to join the web of adults that surrounds each boy. Over the next year, those relationships grew and flourished. But that need climaxed the next year when Susan was diagnosed with colon cancer. Convinced of the importance of encircling her sons with support, Suzanne continues to enlist men and women to come alongside her three boys as she battles cancer. If the Lord chooses not to heal Suzanne physically, these adults will likely walk with her sons for years to come. But Suzanne isn't just building long-term faith in her own sons. On days she is physically able, she also invites neighborhood kids into her home so those kids and their parents can get glimpses of a family that's been transformed by Christ even in the midst of a major struggle. Motivated by the thought of the role she can play in other kids' faith, Suzanne shares, I'm excited to see how God is going to work through our family to reach the families in our neighborhood. That story was written in 2014. And I wish I could tell you that Suzanne's story ended with joy. Or at least I could tell you how her story ended. I have no idea how the story ends. I reached out to the author of the book, and she couldn't even tell me how it ends because they've lost contact over the last eight years with Suzanne. I don't know if she passed or if she's still battling cancer or if she's been healed. But what I can tell you is this, is that no matter what happened to Suzanne, she put her kids in the best position to come to Jesus. And friends... Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters. At the end of the day, that's all we can do too, isn't it? We cannot control so many of the events in our lives. We cannot control so many of the aspects of the things that affect our health and our livelihood. But the one thing we can control is making sure that we're doing everything possible to let our little children 
come to Jesus. Because our children want to come to him. May we do everything in our power to not hinder them. Father, we, we recognize today that you want little children to come to you. That you are calling children and young adults to come to you, to follow you. God, we just confess that we have a heavy burden on our hearts for the next generation here at East Point and how we long to see them grow and flourish in their faith. And so, Lord, we take your command seriously this morning to not hinder them, to do everything we can to show that love and compassion, to show that grace. Lord, to let children know that they are welcomed at the cross, that they are welcomed as they are, that they are welcomed in your grace, and that they are loved unconditionally before they do a single thing. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you. And Lord, we pray a special blessing upon moms today and the burdens that they carry, how they so often hold our families together. We pray, Mom, uh, we pray, Lord, for your blessing upon our moms. We pray for their strength and endurance and their encouragement. We pray that they would know that you love them, that you are pleased with them, that you delight in them, and that you long to see them strong and vibrant. We thank you, Lord, for the love of Christ, and we just acknowledge his love for every child on the face of this planet. And we pray that we can do our best to impact as many for you as possible. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.